You can save every day by shopping at Whole Foods Market. Seriously, don't just go for the big sales. Walk the store and see the savings for yourself. In the seafood department, look for the yellow low price sign on Whole Foods Market Responsibly Farm Salmon. This fish is perfect for the grill. Buttery, fatty, yet lean, nice thick fillets. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it, and I know I can get it at a great price. There's so many ways to save at Whole Foods Market. Now you know. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a segment to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Pulitzer Prize. A fascinating piece about the Navajo language being used as an uncrackable code during World War II. That piece is from a new Quick and Dirty Tips podcast that we're really excited about called Unknown History. And finally, I'll end with a funny story from a listener. And now, the fascinating history of the Pulitzer Prize and why it's not pronounced Pulitzer by Edwin Battistella. This year marks the 100th anniversary of the Pulitzer Prize, the annual prize in journalism and letters, established by the estate of Joseph Pulitzer in 1916 and run by the Columbia School of Journalism, which was also established by Pulitzer's estate. The first Pulitzer Prizes in reporting were given in 1917 to Herbert Bayard Swope of New York World for a series of articles titled Inside the German Empire, and to the New York Tribune for its editorial on the first anniversary of the sinking of the Lusitania. The first Pulitzers in literature were awarded that year to French ambassador Jean-Jules Jusserand for his work History with Americans of Past and Present Days, and to Laura E. Richards and Maud Howe Elliott for the autobiography of Julia Ward Howe. Over the years, prize categories have evolved. Poetry, general nonfiction, fiction, and more were added in the literary arts, and categories such as editorial cartooning, local and national investigative reporting, and editorial and feature photography were added in journalism. The category of telegraph reporting has quaintly fallen away. Today, there are more than 20 award categories. And it's worth noting that Oxford University Press books have won a fair share of awards in history, biography, and even one in music. This year, the Pulitzer Board is sponsoring a year-long celebration of the 100th awarding of the prizes, in collaboration with state humanities councils, journalism schools, museums, and foundations. A friend of mine, a Pulitzer winner himself, was telling me about this over coffee. Wow, I explained, I had no idea the Pulitzer Prize was 100 years old. I pronounced the name Pulitzer, and he gently explained the preferred pronunciation to me. The Pulitzer board pronounces it Pulitzer, which is the way Joseph Pulitzer said it and liked it. 
A few days later, I was talking with another friend about the centenary and complimented him on pronouncing it as Pulitzer did. Yeah, he said, I was saying Pulitzer, but somebody corrected me. The Pulitzer versus Pulitzer situation got me thinking about the pronunciation of names. It's one of the few aspects of language where a dose of prescriptivism seems warranted. People ought to be able to pronounce their name as they see fit, within orthographic reason, of course. I may not like your pronunciation of insurance, economics, or route, but I have no special authority to approve or correct it. However, with a name, the situation is different. The owner of the name gets to establish the pronunciation. So Pulitzer it is. But why do so many American speakers say it the other way, with pew as the first syllable? The answer to that lies in the phonological process of palatalization, and specifically what's known as eupalatalization. The term refers to the way that in English, consonants are often palatalized before a long U sound. A palatal semivowel, a gliding sound represented by the phonetic symbol J, but often spelled with a capital Y in popular transcriptions, occurs between the consonant with the long U sound, as in dude or tuna. Palatalization before the long U tends to occur in some relatively well-defined phonetic situations, such as when the long U occurs at the beginning of a word, as in university or usual. That's why you use A rather than an with many words that start with U. Perhaps they begin with a Y sound. Palatalization is especially robust after labial consonants in American English. These include the stops M, P, and B, as in mute, amuse, pew, pure, puerile, repute, beauty, bureau, and vocabulary. And also the fricatives F and V, as in fuse, fuel, futile, view, review, and uvula. Palatalization is not automatic after these sounds, however, and spelling is often a clue. Consider pew and poo, beauty and booty, feud and food, and mute and moot. This brings us back to Joseph Pulitzer, who emigrated to the United States in 1864. He was born in Hungary, where Pulitzer, or Pulitzer, as it's sometimes spelled, with an O, was a common family name derived from a place name in southern Moravia, the village of Pulitz. In the United States, the spelling Pulitzer would have quite naturally been anglicized to Pulitzer by analogy to other P-U spellings, such as pure, puritanical, puce, and so on. Palatalization, incidentally, is also common after velar consonants like G and K, as in cute, Q, skew, factual, regulate, angular, and argue. And you find similar extension of palatalization in the pronunciation of the word coupon. Coupon is etymologically French, from the Old French couper, C-O-U-P-E-R, meaning to cut. Not sure if I pronounced the old French right. 
but has the alternative pronunciations coupon and coupon. And last week I heard someone pronounce Kubrick as Kubrick. The pronunciations of coupon and Pulitzer aside, it turns out that the palatalized versions of many common words are often the older forms, still used among many speakers of British and Canadian English. Thus, you hear palatalized dew, tune, dune, news, lewd, and so on. 20th century American speech tended to drop these palatal glides, but they seem to be re-emerging in some dialects. Perhaps there's a Pulitzer in the story. That segment was written by Edwin L. Battistella, who teaches linguistics and writing at Southern Oregon University in Ashland, where he has served as a dean and interim provost. He's the author of the book, Sorry About That, The Language of Public Apology. A version of this segment originally appeared on the OUP blog. And now onto a special segment from a fascinating book, When Hitler Took Cocaine and Lenin Lost His Brain. The book is by Giles Milton, a renowned historian and best-selling author. And he's also, I'm excited to say, the host of our new Quick and Dirty Tips podcast, Unknown History. In the show, Giles retells quirky, lesser-known stories from the past. I love history, but I also love how history plays into our knowledge and perception of language, grammar, and storytelling. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this tidbit about codes that helped the Americans during World War II. The idea of using the Navajo language for battlefield communications was first suggested by Philip Johnston, the son of an American missionary. He was one of the few non-Navajos in the world who spoke the language fluently. The commands were relayed as a string of seemingly unrelated Navajo words that bore no obvious relation to battlefield terms. This was because words like machine gun and battleship didn't exist in Navajo. To overcome this problem of vocabulary, the team used designated Navajo words to describe military hardware. Whale was used to describe a battleship, ironfish to describe a submarine, and hummingbird to describe a fighter plane. But the code was a great deal more sophisticated than that. One of the basic principles was that specific Navajo words were chosen to represent individual letters of the Roman alphabet. To represent the letter A, for example, the Americans could use any of the following. Wallachi, ant, Belisani, apple, or Tsnenil, axe. These words had one key element in common. When translated into English, they all started with the letter A. The Americans sent and received dozens of commands each day. When they received a coded message, their first task was to translate the Navajo words into English. They then used the first letter of each word to spell out the message. And this is why it proved so impossible for the Japanese to crack. Any codebreaker attempting to read the cipher had to know the meaning of the Navajo word in English. And since there was no Navajo dictionary, they found themselves up against an impossible task. The Japanese codebreakers worked around the clock in their quest to crack the Navajo code, but they never succeeded in deciphering a single message. For more stories like this one, listen and subscribe to Unknown History on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. Finally, a listener named Tati Kirshnen left this funny story as an iTunes review. Tati works for a telecom vendor, and they had to troubleshoot an audio problem where they'd lose 15 seconds of audio every hour, so they had to listen to hours and hours of audio to reproduce the problem. 
Toddy said they wanted something that was, quote, good, informational, and interesting, unquote. And an engineer named Oscar suggested Grammar Girl. They used it extensively for testing, and now a bunch of engineers at the company are fans. It doesn't say what company, but hello to Oscar and Toddy and all the new telecom engineers who are listening, and thanks for sharing your story. That may be one of the most unusual stories I've heard about how people discovered the show. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find all the Grammar Girl articles in our new podcast, Unknown History, at quickanddirtytips.com. Also, the ebook version of my New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing, is on sale for the next few weeks for $2.99. So if you've been thinking about getting it, now's a good time. I'll put all these links in the show notes that you should be able to see wherever you're listening to this podcast. That's all. Thanks for listening. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.